Yes, come on. Man, I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. My name is Pastor Jonathan, for those who don't know me. And I have the honor and privilege of pastoring at our Mansfield campus. And so Mansfield's actually joining us this morning. So can we give a big shout out to Mansfield? Give a big hand clap for him. Man, love you guys. Miss y'all. And all our online family, come on, man. Let's give a big hand clap for our online family. Yes. Come on. Well, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Pastor Adam and Miss Jamie, didn't they do a fantastic week last week of bringing, come on, the 10 love habits that we can incorporate into our marriages? Come on. I love the fact that when he asked this, he said, how many of you guys love your spouse? Everybody's like, yeah, I love my spouse, right? Then he said, how many of you guys love your marriage? And the goal necessarily isn't that I love my spouse, but you have a marriage that you love. That you have a marriage that you love. And we're diving into, into what is love, breaking down kind of marriage and, and family and all those different things. But I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. As, uh, as we kind of recap what it is all about, we take out of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 13, really of what this looks like, of what love is. What, what is love? And biblically defined, coming out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it reads like this, just in case, so, so we can catch up. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hope, always perseveres, and love never fails. Those are the 15 ingredients for love. There's a 15 ingredients for love. I don't know how many of you guys in here love Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. That Texas water, right? Absolutely. I love me some Dr. Pepper, right? If you ever see a Texan that's dehydrated on the side of the road, get you a nice cold Dr. Pepper, pour it in his mouth and watch him spark right up, right? That's what he needs. That's what he needs. Them 23 flavors. Mm, so good, right? But it's just like love, right? If you take out of those 23 flavors and you only have 22, you're drinking Oklahoma water, Right? That's nasty. Like, nobody wants to be a part of that. That's disgusting, right? We don't want that. It's the same thing with love. All 15 ingredients have to be in there. All 15 ingredients have to be in how we communicate, how we do life with each other, how we love our kids. Because what? That is what love is. That is love. That is what it's defined as, and that's what we find it as, right? So that's what we're given a background of what that is. And when Myrna and I first got married, and by the way, we celebrated 16 years of marriage a little over a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and so when we first got married, I, I'll just give you guys just a little bit of insight. Uh, uh, the honeymoon's awesome, right? The honeymoon's fantastic. It was great. Seven days of no responsibility, no problems, right? Seven days of awesome, right? It's just, it was fantastic. Then we got back, right? And I don't know if you've ever had somebody stay at your house, like your best friend stays at your house, and you're like, hey, man, this is awesome. We're best friends. And you play video games all night one night. Then the next night you wake up, and, and you play video games all day. Then the next night you play video games all night. And then you wake up the next morning, and you're like, why are you still here? You know what I'm saying? When, when you, like, you're, just, you're ready for them to go home. They ate the last peanut butter and jelly thing. And you're like, that was my favorite. You ate it. And you look at him. He's like, I don't even want you to be my friend no more, right? That was three days of marriage for me and Myrna post the honeymoon. I woke up and I was like, why are, we, why are you still here? We, we don't like, I was like, I'm ready for you to go to your house. You know what I'm saying? She's like, I'm ready for you to go to your house, right? And so, and so our marriage, as it began to go, it, it just, it was crazy. It was tough. It was hard. And I didn't realize how much I was going to have to work at my marriage. I had no clue. When I got married, I thought I was perfect. I was like, let me tell you something. You scored. You, I told her, he said, you scored. I'm amazing. I'm a catch. You know what I'm saying? And she's like, well, let me tell you something. You scored, right? And I was like, okay. So then we had this whole, like, scoring battle, right? But it was crazy because when we got into it, I really began to see my flaws and my deficiencies, 
what I wasn't really good at. And she was really good at telling me what those were, right? She was really good at pointing those out. You're not good at that right there. And as we kind of got into it, I noticed that one of the biggest things that we had that were some major differences was communication. See, the way, the way you learn how to communicate, the way that you emulate that is based on what you see as a kid. In studies, they say that most of the people that learn communication, they learn it when they're a child. They, they learn those things when they're a kid. They watch their parents do it, their grandparents, their friends, whatever it may be, their surroundings is what they begin to take in and how they begin to communicate. So as Myrna and I, as we were getting, you know, you know, getting going and stuff like that, I began to notice and understand the different communication styles that each one of us had. Myrna, Myrna was more of a, you know, as, as we would encounter problems or whatever, she would say, well, what problem is there? There's nothing to talk about. For me, it was like, I, I was raised to be like, hey, if you're going to be a man, you go after that and you deal with it right now. And so I'd be like, okay, great. So I have this thing in my mind and my dad say, be a man, be a man in your marriage, lead your household. Come on, do this, do that. So we get in a little tiffs. And I'd be like, well, let's talk about it right now. And she'd be like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, no, but we have to talk about it right now. She's like, well, I don't want to. And I was like, no, 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 we, we have to talk about this. So I said, I'm going to get it out of you one way or another, right? I got married a long time ago, 16 years ago, right? I was a 21-year-old kid when I got married, okay? So now you're dealing with 21-year-old me, right? I, 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 I'll just be honest with you guys because we're family, right? When I moved out of my house, I'd never done laundry a day in my life. Everybody's like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? And the people look at me and say, I know why you had problems in your marriage, right? So it's like, <laughs> as being the eldest Hispanic boy, I was prince. Everything I wanted, I got, right? I, I was catered to, right? And so, and so I was a little immature. I was a little wild. I, I was a little spoiled. All of these things, right? And my wife was fantastic at telling me each one of these things. So as we get, as we get going, it's like, no, we're going to talk about this problem. So I said, all right, we're going to talk about this problem. You don't want to talk about it, I will make you. And so I would begin to sing songs about how much I love my wife, how she never gets mad at me, she loves me so much. Right? I would sing, and she'd just be fuming. She'd be so mad, right? Then, then we'd go shopping or whatever we were doing, and I would tell the people checking us out, I'd say, hey, look, this is my wife. We've been married three months. I'm like, Aw. I was like, she never gets mad at me. <laughs> she never gets mad at me. I never do anything wrong. She was so lucky to have married me. And I'm telling this to strangers, and she's fuming. She's so mad. And I'll never forget. Oh, man, this is the last time I ever did that. We get back into the truck, and she unleashes. I was like, oh, my gosh, right? I was not prepared for that. And we talked about everything else except the issue that we had, right? And so I was like, we will not do that again. But I learned in that moment how important communication is. How important communication is. 65% of all divorces happen because of a lack of communication. Because people don't know how to communicate. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, coming out of the King James Version, it reads like this. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. It says that every single one of us, we shouldn't let corrupt communication come out of our mouths that everything that comes out of our mouths should be edifying to those that should should bless those should should encourage those should infuse those with some kind of faith with some kind of hope it should be good speech that comes out of our mouths he says don't let any of that corrupt communication come out we see that 70 percent of men when they, when they, when they were uh, surveyed, 70% of men said that nagging was a problem in their marriage. Nagging and complaining. We saw that 65% of women, 
when they, when they were surveyed, said that they felt unheard and that their opinions and their feelings weren't validated by their spouse. Guys, if we're going to have healthy marriages, if we're going to have good marriages, single people, if you're going to have a great marriage, if you're going to have great friendships and relationships, then we have to have good communication. Our communication has to be, has to be good. Not that every time you speak, it is only going to be awesome and amazing because sometimes when you communicate, the situation is dire. Sometimes you got to speak truth, but what does truth come out of? It's always rooted in what? Love. Always rooted in love. And as we speak those truths, and sometimes as we speak these hard things, it all has to be what? Edifying, based out of love. That a communication wouldn't be anything that tears down or destroys but it would always be something that builds up. Because the goal isn't that I prove that I'm right and that you're wrong. The goal is that we have a happy marriage with God in the center and that whatever God joined us together, let no man tear apart, right? And we understand that as he brings couples together, there's a purpose in the kingdom for that, that we would begin to find that in that communication we have. In Luke, Jesus is talking with the disciples. And he's telling him, and he's, and he's walking with him, and he, and he tells him this, this thing. As, and I love how Jesus would teach as he's using the things around him. That's the way I am. I'm not a reader, and I can learn. I'm a doer. I, I'm a seer. Let me see how you do that. Then I'll learn. And as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he shows them this thing as they're walking around. And he tells them this. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit. Coming out of Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 43. He says, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. He says, people do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So as we begin to understand what this is and how our communication is paramount, and what we say actually carries weight, right? Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so how we communicate and what we say, those words take on life. Those words may not, may not look like it. That old adage, sticks and stones may bake my bones, but words will never hurt me. Dude, words freaking hurt. I'd rather you hit me in the head with a brick. You know what I'm saying? Then damage me for life. You know what I'm saying? I got to deal with this childhood trauma. You called me fat when I was six, right? It's like, I would rather have you just... Poke me with a stick. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm dealing with all this junk. Right? Words are hurt. And they hurt in a different way. And if we can't, out of our mouths, communicate anything good, then you have to then ask, what is stored up in your heart? Because you will never produce what you're not. You will always produce what you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter all the things that you do. If you don't change who you are out of your heart, he says you will only speak what your heart is full of. So then you have to come and ask yourself if no, nothing good is coming out of your mouth, if nothing good is, is edifying coming out of your mouth, then what are you taking in? What is in your heart? As we're going to study what most couples do together in the evening, 52% of all couples sit down and enjoy TV for two and a half hours in the evening. Nothing wrong with enjoying TV. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But when you begin to see what happens as people have problems in communicating, as people have problems in their marriage, you have to come back and look at what are you ingesting. I hate kale so much. I don't, do we have any kale lovers in here? 
I hate kale. Look, not a lot. Yeah, the, the kale fan club is small, right? <laughs> it tastes like dirt. There's plenty of openings for the kale fan club, right? To me, it tastes like dirt. It's disgusting. It's nasty. I wake up in the morning, right? When I wake up in the morning, I do not crave kale. I don't wake up and be like, you know what I want? I'll go to the refrigerator. I'm like, dude, cold piece of moist kale. I don't crave that. I don't, ever want, I don't know what. There's always a condensation on it. You know what I'm saying? It's, oh, and it looks sad in the little Ziploc bag. It just looks depressed in there. Let us out, right? It's just it's terrible, man. I hate kale. And so I, I, don't ever, I don't ever crave that. I don't wake up in the morning like, you know what, man? And I walk around just munching kale. No. You don't wake up in the morning craving. It's like, dude, want me a freaking kolache? Yes. You don't want me? I want a donut. Yes, right? Barbacoa de lengua. I want all those things, right? Give me tacos, bro. I want that. That's what I want. I don't wake up craving kale. No. But I don't eat kale. I eat too many tacos, right? I eat too many donuts. But I don't crave that. You will only eat or you will only crave that which you consume. And so if your heart is constantly consuming these things, and your heart is constantly going after these things, and you say, well, we tried to do this, we tried to do that, we just don't like it. It's not that you don't like it. It's that you haven't learned to crave it just yet. We see as most couples, they watch TV together two and a half hours each night, totaling about 876 hours a year, equaling 336 and a half days of TV consumption each year. A recent study showed that, that people spend an average of 187 hours searching a, a year searching for what they're going to watch on Netflix. Have you ever just been in there, let's find something to watch, and you just watch trailers <laughs> for like an hour, <laughs> and nothing seems good, and then you find it's like, I would just put that, right? And then what do you do? You fall asleep like 15 minutes into it, <laughs> right? And then you wake up, and you're like, episode three, What? Oh my gosh, I'm so lost, right? 187 years searching for these things. The average person spends about seven hours a week listening to podcasts. And so we have a lot of things that we're taking in. We have a lot of things that we're ingesting. Where the average person spends about two hours a Sunday in church. Totaling about 104 hours of if they went every Sunday to what would be considered godly consumption. With the rates like that, there's no way with what we're consuming that we would ever be able to have good stored up in our hearts. So the issue necessarily isn't, hey, I need to learn how to, how to speak better. I, I need to learn how to be more edifying in my words. What really needs to change is I need to change what's stored up in my heart. I need to change what I'm consuming. Therefore, when I change what I'm consuming, I'll change what I begin to crave. And when you change when you begin to crave, you change the habits of everything around you. We need to have an open and honest discussion. If we're going to have great communication in our marriages, great communication in our relationships, we need to have an open and an honest conversation with what is it that you're consuming? What is it that's stored up in your heart? I want to give you a couple of good communication habits, some healthy communication ha practices that you guys can put into place right now. And these are going to seem basic, and these are going to seem elementary, and maybe for some of you these are going to be eye-opening, or maybe they'll just be some reminders. But here's some healthy communication practices that you and I need to put into place. The first one is this right here, is you need to be present and in the moment. Be present and in the moment. There was this thing that is called, uh, and I learned it this week, called fubbing, Right? You're like, what is that? I guarantee you 99% of us in here do it. 
I don't fub at all. Like, I know you do. Fubbing is this. It's when someone's talking, you're scrolling on your phone. You're just looking at your phone, right? You're not in the moment. You know how many times my wife has asked me a question, and I'm like, what? And I pause on a video, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great, right? And I'm laughing. She's like, did you hear what I said? I was like, no. Were you talking? <laughs> it's like, were you here? She's like, yeah, I just told you this, that, and the other. And I said, I lost it. You guys, we need to be present and in the moment. When we're having communication with somebody, you need to be there. They need to know that they have you and all of you, that you're engaged in what you're doing, that, that, you're, that you're with them in that, that you're making eye contact with them, that you're looking at them, not in a creepy way. Please don't do that. You just stare at them. You know, that's, that's really strange. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that just stares like so intently? You're like, ah, you're making me uncomfortable. Can you do a little bit of fubbing real quick to make this conversation a little normal? Because this is, this is too weird for me, right? But be present and in the moment. Give nonverbal communication, nodding, agreeing. Mmm, wow, okay, right? Do that, why? Because it lets them know that you're what? That you're in it with them. I'm here with you. Second thing that we can do that, that will help us with some healthy communication practices is respond with some open-ended questions. Respond with open-ended questions. Don't ask questions that are just a yes and a no answer, but questions that lead to other things, right? I am the cat that curiosity killed. I am. I will ask you so many questions. Because why? Because I'm intrigued. I, I, I want to know. Well, what did that make you feel like? How, I, what, what did you do after that? Right? I ask these questions. And sometimes I do it at the worst times. Myrna's like, we have to go. It's like, but hold on. This guy's telling me all about his life. She's like, we have to go right now, though. This is not the time for that, right? But ask open-ended questions. Not questions that lead only to a yes or no, but questions that, that get you a little bit more. When I asked my kids, how was school? I learned not to do that. I learned how to because they said, good, good. I was like, would you all have any homework? Yes, yes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I want to know about your day. So, so I'm, I'm asking them, hey, was so-and-so there today? No, and I was like, ah, that's not a good question either. So figuring out how to ask them questions that lead to bigger answers. How did that make you feel? How, how, how did you respond to that? What did they say? What was going on? Tell me more about that. And as you begin to do that, my son, who is not much of a chatterbox, boy, he opens up. He starts rolling, and then I start fubbing. No, I'm joking. I don't do that. I was like, oh, my gosh, dude, we cannot talk about Roblox anymore. Oh my gosh, please. But you got to be there, right? You, you, you're engaging with them, right? The third thing that we see is just a good, healthy practice that you can put into place is you can, is you can uh, reciprocate it with expressing gratitude. Express gratitude for the conversation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. I, I, I feel so much better now talking to you. Man, this was really good for us to do that. Because you could sit there and you can take up time and you can do all of these things. And the person was like, well, I just spent eight minutes with you, nine minutes with you, ten minutes with you. And you just walked away. Like, how does that make you feel? Right? And then the, third, the fourth thing is this right here, is return the favor. I hate it when people, it, 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 they only like to talk about themselves, right? It's like, dude, you just spent 45 minutes only talking about yourself. And I'll ask you a million questions to keep you going. But you only talked about yourself. When the conversation ended, you were done, you were good, and that was it. We, we, were, we were with a, a friend of ours that we know, and it was, it's a new relationship, and, uh, and we were talking at dinner. And the whole time, this person is only talking about themselves. The entire time. We had dinner, for, and, I, and, I, and I timed it, because Myrna was like, what are you doing? I was like, just watch. 
and, I, I, and, and I'm analytical like this. I turn my timer on, and for an hour and 15 minutes, this person, without taking a breath, just talked about themselves for an hour and 15 minutes. One hour and 15 minutes. And I was like, I was like, Myrna, look, let's just keep it going. Let's see how long this can go. And she's like, no, that's mean. I was like, no, this person has no idea they're doing it. A lot of times we'll get into it. And guess what? We love ourselves so much that all we want to do is talk about us. We never ask any other questions about how the other person is doing. We never ask any questions about how, how I can help you in this. Is there anything you'd like to talk to me about? Is there anything you'd like to tell me? We get so enthralled with who we are. We could sometimes think, well, it's an honor and a privilege that you get to hear from me. Oh, my gosh. Do you know how great and amazing I am? That we totally forget that we need to return the favor. I say, hey, man, what would you like to talk about? What would you like to do? Because when you do that, you validate that other person. You value that other person. You say, hey, man, you are important, and you are worth my time and attention. Dr. Uh, Gatman is this guy. He's a professor out of the University of Washington. He's conducted over 40 years uh, of couple therapy and, and marriage restoration, all these different things. And he invented this thing called the Argument Lab, right? And, and it's this place where you can go in and he observes couples. And I don't know, I don't know what they do. I, I don't know in the lab if they have like a toilet seat up and it just sparks something crazy. I don't know if he, if he goes in there and all the lights are on and the husband's mad at the wife or the air conditioner's turned all the way down. I don't know what it is. But somehow they create this thing called the Argument Lab where he gets, he gets a couple to go in there and they begin to talk and they begin to argue. And in that argument, he begins to identify what they're doing. And with 90% accuracy, he can tell you whether or not this marriage is going to survive or whether it's going to fail. And in his studies and all that he's done for over 40 years, he's identified four areas that you and I should avoid. These communication practices that we can get into, these things that, that we can fall into, that we, can, that we should avoid. And he calls them the four horsemen of a marriage apocalypse. For the four horsemen of a marriage apocalypse. So I want you guys to write these things down on these communication practices that you and I should avoid. The first one is this right here. Is being a critic. Being a critic. Man, no one likes a critic. Everybody hates me. Even the, even the people, I, I like critics sometimes when I'm going to food places like on Yelp. Like, please be good. Like, please. And then they leave an honest review. You're like, awesome. Then you can see these people that are just super critical about everything, and you don't ever want to be around them, right? But in a marriage, having someone that is always a critic is so exhausting. When you show up and everything you do is criticized, everything you do is somehow analyzed in a way that should be different. And they use words like this, like you always, you never, all the time you do this. And those are exaggerated statements that, that aren't even true. There's no way that I could always do that. There's no way that, that I never do that. Actually, I did that yesterday, right? And what happens is, is when you get into this cycle of someone constantly being a critic of you, constantly criticizing you and what you're doing, man, that, that just stirs something up in you. You come in and you say, I don't even want to be here because all you do when I show up, all I do when I show up is you criticize me. All I do is not show up is I know I can't ever do anything right. All you do when I show up is you just begin to pick at me and come at me. And you look at me weird. And, and, and then there's these things where, where all of a sudden you fix something that I didn't do right in front of me. I put my shoes down, right? 
then you get up and move them. <laughs> what is that? You know what I'm saying? Like, then I, I was going to move my shoes. Oh, sure you were. You never move your shoes. Like, oh, my gosh. What is going on here? I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, right? I'm a little bit OCD, right? I'm working on it, right? Okay, yeah. And so my, my wife and my kids, we have this rule in our house, right? We'll be family for me. We have, we have this rule in our house, don't wear shoes in the house, okay? It stems from years ago. When we have first bought, when we burned our first house, we were having small group twice a week at our house. All these teenagers were showing up, right? And teenagers have dirty feet, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, dude, you don't even care what you walk in. Like, you just walk in everything. That's disgusting. Take your shoes off at the door, right? So that was this thing. Because I was like, I don't make enough money to replace my carpet when you destroy it in a year. Take your shoes off. So this thing is then carried over into, into where we're at now. We just have this thing where take your shoes off. And there'll be moments in time where I can be so frustrated because all of a sudden my kids will put their shoes on in their room and they'll run through the house. I'm like, what are you doing? Take your shoes off. And they're like, but dad, I just, I just had to do this. It's like, take your shoes off. And they'll take them off. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, walk around with their shoes and then come back and then put them on again. And they're like, I was like, thank you so much. But it can become a problem. When all of a sudden you're rushing in the house where you've got to do something, right? Where, where, where you're in it, and I'm like, take those shoes off. And like, but leave me alone. I just got to do this. My wife says, she told me this the other day. She says, I live here too. This is my house too. If I want to wear my shoes, I can wear my shoes in my house. And I was like, but you, there's a rule. You can't. The rule is you take it off, right? And she's like, if I want to, if I want to wear my shoes in the house, I can wear my shoes in the house. I was like, no, no, one shoe, maybe. Not two shoes. We'll make a deal. We'll, we'll settle this thing. One shoe only. You can wear one shoe in the house. But it's this thing where all of a sudden, what would you rather have? Would I rather have a clean house with immaculate floors, or would I rather have a relationship with my kids and a happy marriage? And we can get into this thing where we can sometimes prioritize the action, or we can sometimes prioritize what we have over the relationships. And she would tell me that. Would you rather have a clean house? Or were you ready to have a, a, a happy marriage? I was like, well, can I have both, please? And she's like, it doesn't work that way. I was like, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it can't. How about every Tuesday we have a clean house and a happy marriage? We'll do that. <laughs> and so now Tuesday is the day we clean the house, right? And so it happens, right? And so there's a happy medium there. But this is what it says right here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Let me say it again. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. No matter what happened and how perfect you thought the person was when you married them, doesn't matter how flawed they are now, each and every one of us, we need to make room. We need to make allowance for each other's faults. Because guess what? I have them and you have them. And if we judge each other based on those things, then we'd be lost. But man, we would need to make allowance for each and one of our faults. The second thing that we see him happen is this right here. On a practice to avoid is being condescending. Constantly being condescending. Where you feel like the person you're talking to is beneath you. They're, they're, not, they're, they're, they're inferior to you. You don't even understand. You couldn't even imagine. You couldn't even begin to understand what's going on. So, so instead of me wasting my time trying to explain it to you, how about you just do it? How about you just go ahead and, and, and get this done? And in a marriage, that is terrible to do. There's moments where, where we can have those things where you say, you, don't, you can't even understand. Or we talk to them like they're inferior. Well, why would I even try to explain that to you? Well, I didn't know that it needed gas. What do you mean it didn't need gas? When the gas light comes on, we got to put gas in it, right? That's what happens. That's why the light comes on. And we'll have these things where, where all of a sudden we'll be so condescending in our communication 
that what happens is the person doesn't even want to be around you anymore because every time they get around you, they feel dumb. They feel inferior. They feel like, they feel like whatever they say, whatever they do is not even, it, it's not going to matter. It, it, it's, not even, it's not even any good. So then why should I even begin to try? Why, why would I begin to do that for you? And what begins to happen is they begin to withdraw. They begin to say, look, I don't want to be around you because every time I get around you, you make me feel, you just make me feel terrible. Why would I want to put myself in a situation like that? Why would I want to be around you when I try to express myself to you and you just come at me with these, with these words of, of like sarcasm, you, you, you make fun of me, you, you, you constantly mock me, you belittle everything that I say, you, you give no value to what I'm bringing to you, you're always condescending with me. Why would I want to have a relationship with you that's like that? Why would I want to do that? I worked for a boss one time that, that was just that, super condescending. And every time we'd get together, we'd have performance reviews and all this stuff. And his review was based on our review and our performance. And so this guy was such a jerk that every single one of us, when we knew that his review was coming up, we'd all start doing a terrible job. We'd all just be like, dude, we do not want this guy to succeed. Why? Because he's a terrible person. He's, he's a horrible guy. Every time you get around him, he'd just make you feel so dumb. Every time you get around him, you, you, you would feel like, why am I even here? I, I need your help with this. What is going on? And every time you'd get around him, he'd just make you feel terrible. And so what began to happen is we begin to resent him. Say, I don't want to be around you. Nor do I want to be around you. I don't want you to be successful. So I'm going to do what I can to tank whatever you feel like you got going on. And we would have this cycle go on. Where he, he would kind of understand and see, and he'd fall right back into his ways. It wasn't until someone had a courageous conversation with him and told him, this is what you do. And we all encouraged him to record a conversation that he was having with us and play it back to him. That he began to understand his tone and what he was saying. A lot of times we say, that's just the way I am. That, that's who I am. That's how I communicate. I'm a sarcastic person. I, that, that's, that's my form of jest. That is how I play. Well, we understand that there's a little bit of truth in every joke that we tell. And we have these things go forth where we're, we're, we're well, I'm just playing. Well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. Well, no, what you're actually doing is you're hurting me. You're being condescending and you're downplaying what I'm feeling. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. That every single one of us should be building up somebody else, our spouse included. Men, it is your job to pastor the household. It is your job. It is your job to lead your family and lead your wife. And if you're constantly belittling her, it says that we should love our spouses, our wives, just as Christ loved the church. He didn't speak bad about the church. He actually died for the church. And so you and I should be speaking well. We should be speaking good. We should be encouraging and building up our spouse. If there's a moment or something they don't understand, then we should take the time to explain it so that they understand it because they are our co-laborer. They are moving forward with us. They were set up as our helper, not as somebody that was below us, but as a helper for us to make this thing go forward. And we should take the time to make sure that they understand they're on the same page with us. The third thing that we see them do is this right here. A bad communication habit that we can get into is getting defensive. We've all know somebody that the moment you show up, they're so defensive. And the moment they put up their defenses, what are they ready for? A fight. Oh my gosh, they're ready for a fight. And then what happens when you see somebody with their defenses raised? What do you do? You raise yours. 
And then what begins to happen? You begin to fight. And it goes. We just got a little dog. He's awesome. He's great. I love him. He's going to be a year next month, right? So excited for it. My wife was not a dog person. Now she is a dog person to the max. She loves this little guy. Loves him so much. But it's crazy because there's a dog that moved in a couple months ago next door. And it's wild because when they go outside, he goes and sniffs the fence. And if they're outside, they bark all day. I'm like, stop it. What is wrong with you? And they'll just bark up and down the fence, right? But when they see each other, what do they do? They smell. They just look at each other. And they freeze and they kind of do it. But then you put the fence in between and what do they do? They run back and forth barking like they hate each other. It's crazy because the moment he goes out there, he goes out there with his defenses already up. What is going on out here? He shows up and he's already suspicious of outside. He's already suspicious of everything that's around him. And his defenses are up. When you encounter a spouse, when you encounter somebody whose defenses are always up, there's no way, there's no way you'll ever get anything positive done. Because everything you say, everything you do is taken in a negative light. It's the lens in which they are looking and viewing everything through. That you were trying to hurt me. You were trying to take advantage of me. You were trying to get something over on me. You were doing something that is going to hurt me. Therefore, I need to be defensive. Therefore, I need to protect myself. Therefore, I got to make sure and go into the self-preservation mode to make sure I am not hurt. And they get defensive. And when someone is constantly defensive, there's no way good communication can go forth. There's no way that you'll ever get anything positive done. So you have to speak in ways that bring those defenses down. Soften your tone when you show up. When you walk in, don't walk in so aggressively. Pick and choose your times. If you know there's a, a, a time that's particularly terrible for your spouse to have conversations with, don't go at that time. Everybody knows when they walk in the door, you don't want to hear problems right away. You don't. I do not want to do that. When, when my daughter, she'll show up, she's like, Dad, you, want, you, know what, you know what Uzziah did? I'm like, oh, dude, are you kidding me? Just go get the belt. I don't even know what you did. I'm just going to hit you now. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever just been there? It's like, don't even tell me. I'm just going to spank you. Don't even tell me. Just clean it up. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, please don't even tell me. But you know, we all have those moments where you're like, now's not the time. And the moment that it happens, you're immediately defensive. You know. You got to pick your moments when you're doing this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, it says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying one another. We don't need to constantly do that. And another thing with being defensive is a lot of times you will be able to de-escalate de the situation in the moment if you would own your own behavior. Be a grown-up. Be an adult. Say, I did do that. I blew that. What, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to be punished? Be a grown-up. Own it. We all make mistakes. Say, you know what? I did say that. I'm sorry. I did do that. I'm sorry. And when you walk in, I promise you, as you begin to go in with that and you lead with that, everything shifts and changes. And the last thing that we see when he said that there's people that were losing their marriages with these bad habits, the last one we see is this right here, is shutting down. He called it stonewalling. Where the person had disconnected emotionally, had disconnected, they checked out, they're not even there anymore. They're, they're, they're not there. They, they, they've gotten to this space where they've shut down, where they said this right here, and I, I guarantee every single one of you guys have said this. When you shut down in a conversation, I'm not saying anything because what I say next will be so damaging. We've all been there. You don't want me to say what's going on in my head because what I say next is going to take it to the next level. We've all been there. 
where that person is shut down so much so. And they just say, give me five minutes. Give me ten minutes. I need a spot to breathe. I need a moment to cool off. I need, I need to collect my thoughts. Because what comes out right now is not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And we know when we get to that spot, you can either keep pushing. And I've been there. I did that. I'm so guilty of that. No, we're going to talk. And you're gonna, we're going to make this come out. And I've pushed and I've pushed and I've pushed. But I'll tell you this. When someone gets to that spot of shutting down, of stonewall, when they're, when they're done, they say, I've got nothing left in me. This is not worth it. This marriage isn't worth it. This relationship isn't worth it. I'm done. I'm spent. I've got nothing else to give except the very worst that could come out of me. When you get to a spot like that, it's important that us, as men and women of God, we take a spot, we take, we take a moment, we say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to take 15 minutes. And I'm going to go pray and put this before the Lord. Because this isn't going to be how this ends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take this and I'm going to put this before the Lord. And I'm going to pray for this. This is what you pray for. I'm going to pray that I begin to understand what you're going through and how you see it. I'm going to pray that I begin to understand how I failed you and how I wronged you. I'm going to pray that I can understand how I can take responsibility for my part and what's going on right here. And then we'll come back in 10 and 15 minutes and say, are you ready to talk yet or not? No? Okay, great. Then let's separate and we'll fix this thing up. But we're not giving up on this fight. We can get to a spot where we can give up and say, we're done. That's it. I've got nothing left in me. My marriage seems to be at this spot right here. Well, we, we have stonewalled, we, we, have, we have picked our sides, we've built up our defenses, there's nothing left in me. I don't have it. I don't have it in me. There's nothing more I can give. There's nothing more I can do. I've done it all. We've been everywhere. We've talked to everyone. There's nothing left that I have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, I fall upon this verse many times. Because me, I, I'm, I'm a weak person. I mean, I lack and I'm so deficient in so many areas that I come in here and I'm like, Lord, why would you even pick me to be even you? Why would you even allow me to be on your team? In this scripture right here, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. If you tried everything in your marriage, you, you've given it everything you've got. And you've gotten to this spot where, like, there's no hope left. There's, 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 nothing, there's nothing more to give. It's just, not, it's just not there. Then know this, that in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. You would just come and you would allow yourself to be weak. You would allow yourself to say, Lord, I don't have it. Lord, if it's going to survive, it's going to be a miracle from you. Lord, I don't have it, but I'll give you this. I'll give you my weakness. I'll give you my 5%. I'll give you my 6%. Maybe it's 2%. That's all I got. Then that C says, that's all I need. That's all I need. If you're willing to give me the 2% you got left, then watch what I can do with that. Watch what I can do, because in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. If you don't have faith for your marriage, man, give it a little bit. Give it 2%. Give it the 3% you've got. 
If you find yourself falling into some of these spots, say, Lord, look, man, I, I'm giving you just a little bit of what I've got. A good friend of mine was involved in a, in a hunting accident a couple of years ago. And, and where, they, where it happened, they, they, they were so far back in the woods that there was no way they were going to be able to get him out. He was bleeding internally, and he was dying. When they finally found him and got to him, he was, he was in a bad way. And he's a big dude. He's about 6'7", he's about, about, about 320 pounds, big dude. And when they found him, he was in a bad, bad way. And when, when they got to him, they, they were trying to get him up, and they couldn't get him in the truck. The only thing they could do was get him in the bed of the truck. And they looked at him and said, bro, we cannot get you up. And he just kept looking at him and said, just leave me here. Just tell my kids and my wife I love them. And they begin to whisper back to him and tell him, no, bro, you're going to tell him yourself, you got to get up. Come on, man, we need your help. We cannot lift you. And they begin to tell him this, just give us a little bit. And he says, I don't have anything I can give you. He says, just give us a little. He said, if you can just, if you can just lift your head a little bit, then we'll be able to get underneath you, and then we'll be able to assist you. And he says, I don't have it in me. I can't do it. Finally, they said, bro, you're going to die. Just give us a little bit. And he said, he gave it all he could. He said, man, I, I had nothing left in me. I'm bleeding internally. He said, I've got pain that I've never had before. He said, I was so afraid because I thought I had broke my neck and my back. He said, I thought it'd be better for me to die than to live and be paralyzed. He says, I didn't want to move. I don't want to mess anything up. And he said, bro, we need you to sit up. Can you at least sit up? And he said, man, I mustered the little bit of strength that I had left in me. And I sat up. He says, when I sat up, they lifted me and threw me in the bed of the truck. He says, bro, everything else after that, I blacked out. He says, next thing I know, I woke up in the back of an ambulance. He says, it was by a miracle of God, after blood transfusions and operations and all these things, that he was able to live. Not only that he was able to live, but that he wasn't paralyzed either. They were to fix everything that was going on in him. See, what's crazy is, is sometimes all you need to give and all the Lord needs is just a little bit. Can you move? Lord, do you have a little bit of faith for your marriage? Do you have a little bit of faith for that relationship? Do you have just a little bit of faith? Do, what can you give me? Because, man, I can make a lot out of a little. What is it that you can give me? Will you fight for your marriage? Will you love your spouse again? Come on, do you have a little bit that you can give this morning. If you would stand across the sanctuary with me, I want to pray over us and pray over our marriages. If you would just close your eyes and just bow your heads. As we pray this morning, I don't know where you're at or what you're going through or what spot your marriage or your relationships seem to be in. Maybe you're here this morning and you've fallen into some of, these, some of these, these, these habits, these practices that we ought to avoid. Where you see yourself constantly being a critic. Where you see yourself always being condescending. You can't help it. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm trying. Maybe you see yourself and you're in this spot where you've shut down. You've disconnected. You've totally detached in order to preserve yourself. You say, I have to do that in order to, to make myself safe. Then I'm going to challenge you this morning with whatever you're at. You say, Lord, begin to work on me in this area. Lord, begin to work in my marriage in this spot. 
Lord, if, I, if I'm weak, will you be able to revive it again? Lord, in my weakness, Lord, if I give you just a little bit that I have, then, Lord Jesus, can you work a miracle in what I've got? Man, I'm at the spot where I've quit. I'm at the spot where I've given up. I'm at the spot where I, I don't believe there's any more. Then maybe in here this morning, you say, this is your moment. This is your time. The Lord said, hey, just give me just a little bit. If you're being honest with yourself, and just putting those, those moments, those areas in the forefront of your mind, say, Jesus, I need a miracle in this area. And under your breath as we pray, I want you to pray and say, Lord, this is what I need. I need a breakthrough in this area for my marriage. Jesus, we love you so much, Father. Lord, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that Hill City will have healthy marriages. Lord, that Hill City, Lord Jesus, will have, will have marriages that communicate so well. Lord Jesus, they'd be able to go all over the world. Lord Jesus, coaching and showing and teaching people Lord, how to communicate within the confines of marriage. Father, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that, Father God, you're breaking criticism off of spouses. Lord, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, Father God, that you're breaking that off. Lord, the condescending tone and those other things, or maybe they don't value them as, as, you know, as high or, or whatever. They don't regard them in any way. That, Lord Jesus, Father, you're changing and shifting hearts. Father, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, for those who can't receive, Lord, because they're so defensive. Lord Jesus, and validated, Lord, and totally justified based on past experiences and other conversations and all those things. Father, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that those defenses are coming down for the sake of the relationship, Lord Jesus. Because they believe in what you've done. They believe in the union in which you joined together, Father. Lord, and they're saying, you know what, I'll receive again. I'll put my, my, my defenses down. Lord, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus. For those people who feel like they've gotten to that spot, they've just shut down. They've totally disconnected. Father God, they're out. They've checked out. They're just waiting on the kids to graduate. They're just waiting on their finances to be straight. They're just waiting on an opportunity to go that Father God, right now, Lord Jesus, Lord, when they feel like they have nothing else, Lord, that you would show them, Lord Jesus, that in your weakness, Lord, right now, that your strength can be made perfect. Lord Jesus, in your weakness right now, if you would give them, if they would give you just a little bit, then Father God, that you can do a lot with it. Lord, if they would just have a little bit of faith for a miracle, Lord Jesus, you could do something miraculous in their marriage. Father, we thank you right now, Lord Jesus, in advance for what you're doing right now in the marriages at Hill City. Father, we thank you. We pray these things in your name. If you would, just keep your head down for just a moment. We never want to leave a gathering like this or a spot like this without giving you an opportunity to receive Jesus. You say everything is rooted and based out of love. And, and maybe you've never encountered a love like his before, a love like Jesus' before. Or maybe you've had a relationship with Jesus in the past, but maybe right now you feel divorced or even separated away from him. And you want to join a right relationship with Jesus. Then I want to pray with you this morning. There's nothing special about the words or how you say it. All that matters is if you mean it in your heart. And if you'd be honest with yourself, you'd be honest with me. And you'd be honest with God. Say, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. Please pray for me. Then I want to pray with you this morning. If you, if you would, just by lifting your hand, say, that's me. Please pray for me. I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to linger here too long. But you'd be honest with yourself. You'd be honest with me. And you'd be honest with God. Say, that's me. Please pray for me. I'll give you five seconds. If you would, just lift your hand for me really quick. I'll give you five seconds. Five, four, 
three, two, one. You can put your hands up with me this morning. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And so you don't feel alone or by yourself or left out. I'm going to have everybody in the congregation. We'll pray it out together. And let's say, like this, say, Jesus. Oh, you can do better than that. Say, Jesus, this morning, I give you my heart. All my successes, all my failures, I give it to you. I pray right now that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I promise to do my best to live for you. Write my name in your book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for those who prayed that prayer, even for the first time or yet again. They would feel your warm embrace over them, washing over a multitude of guilt and shame. Father, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you for the ministry today. Father, we pray all of these things in your holy, in your precious name. Amen and amen. Come on, Hill City, were you blessed this morning? Hey, we love you guys so, so much. Hey, don't... Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond, and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.